0: We are about to move into a very special month starting next Sunday. The whole of July, beginning next Sunday, is uh, what we are calling here at Kensington Temple our KT Missions Month. You know, when we look at all the different nationalities in Kensington Temple and our satellite churches across London, we have at last count over 109 different nationalities. So, uh, the world really has come not only to London, but to KT. It's part of who we are. But also, we have a lot of focuses, uh, a lot of focus in different parts of the world, especially often in areas where there is not much witness, like North Africa and the Middle East. And so, next month, next month, beginning next Sunday, our Senior Minister, Colin Dye, is going to launch Missions Month And that means a number of things. One of the things it means is that if you have your new revival times out today, then on page four you'll see that we are going to, I mentioned this last week, we're going to take a break from the book of James for the month of July, and instead of James for the month of July, we'll come back in August for James, we're going to have a new teaching series And our senior minister, Colin, will be launching this next five o'clock, and it's going to be called Light to the Nations, the story of world missions, because everything we're doing in this next month is missions. And so we're going to be looking at the sending God of the Bible, and then missions from Christ to the Emperor Constantine, the Protestant Revolution, the 20th century explosion of mission and evangelism and also the unfinished task to come. So that's going to be exciting uh, in the course of July. We're going to have different speakers as well. Also, at the 2.30 service, uh, we're going to be bringing in uh, ministers and missionaries that we partner with across the world. So at the 2.30 services, we're going to be having um, our ministers from France, Italy, Brazil... And the minister in Romania, who we are working with to help plant churches, they're going to be coming, each one, to a different 230, starting from next Sunday, where we'll have uh, Marcelo from Brazil. And uh, they're going to present what we are doing with them in their nation, and then they're going to be ministering the Word. We're also going to be increasing our prayer for the nations. Next Sunday, we'll come out a special prayer booklet that has prayers for the work of KT Missions for every day of the month and presentations on the different parts of the world that we are working with and seeking to do uh, more in. We're going to be having early morning prayer meetings from 6.30 in the morning, Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, so that people can come before work and pray for our missions vision, which is London and the world for Christ. We've got guest speakers that will uh, be coming in uh, to to be with us. It's all there in the Revival Times. George Verwa, for example, from Operation Mobilization is going to come and challenge and encourage us as a church to take our missions to the next level. We're encouraging cells. Cells are going to be fundraising for mission and praying in their cells. So, if you're with us during the month of July, I really encourage you, Open your heart especially to what's taking place, because God wants every believer to have a global vision, not just London for Christ, but London and the world for Christ. Jesus didn't just say, go into your neighborhood. He said, go into the world. So next Sunday, our senior minister will be launching our missions month throughout the day, and also, we're taking a break from James, we're going to be looking at the story of world missions throughout these next 5 p.m. services. Excellent. Well, tonight at the seven o'clock service, the revival service, um, I'm going to be ministering on the topic of the Holy Spirit, your senior partner. Um, When we talk about the Holy Spirit being our senior partner, it's not just a nice phrase or an excellent book. Written by David Young Cho. We really mean it. We really mean it. God expects us in our lives to partner with the Holy Spirit in all things. Jesus said to the disciples, He says, I don't want you out without the senior partner. I don't want you out. I don't I want you to stay in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on high. And the book of Acts is really more the book of the Acts of the Holy Spirit than the acts of the apostles as they partnered with him. And the word koinonia, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, that word means partnership, literally means partnership. So tonight, as well as ministering and praying for people and worshiping the Lord, we're going to come afresh to the Holy Spirit and find out what it means for the Holy Spirit to be our senior partner, so that we can go into partnership with him, in our own lives, and the things of God that he wants us to do. That's this evening. But now what we're going to do is turn to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. We've been working our way through the book of James, and as I said, we're taking a break, but we'll come back in the August and finish what we've started. All of the 5 o'clock series are on our website, kt.org, that you can visit. You can go down to series press the series, and then you can see all the different series that we've done and in order. So if you ever miss something at the five o'clock or if you ever want to go back and see some of the other series that we've done and some of them take your attention, you're able to work through those series at your own pace and, and as you will. As we come to chapter three, we're starting a new section in the book of James, You can often tell in the book of James when he is starting something new because he uses the phrase, as you see there in chapter 3, verse 1, my brethren. Whenever he uses that phrase, my brethren, he's usually bringing in a new section. So, I'm I'm going to read the section we're going to look at today, James chapter 3. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, and also able to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at the ships. Although they are so large and driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, The tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it itself is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our God and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or grapevine bear figs? The snow spring yields both salt, water, and fresh. James is returning to a theme that he introduced earlier, and this is the theme of the tongue. If you flick back to James chapter 1, verse 19, you might remember that very important verse that says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. We've looked at the section on swift to hear about being hearers of the word and doers of the word. We've spoken a little bit about being slow to speak, Also, we find later on in chapter 1, verse 26, it says, If anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue and deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. So already in the book of James, James has mentioned the importance of the tongue. And we know that James had also understood this from the ministry of his half-brother Jesus in the Gospels. We know that Jesus says in Matthew 12, verse 34, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And also in Matthew twelve thirty six, Jesus says, Every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account of on the day of judgment. Now, we've moved from being swift to hear which, just doesn't, which doesn't, isn't just about listening, but doing. And James has said, you know, it's not enough just to hear. You've got to put those words of God to work. And that's what we looked at in the last two sessions. We looked at the topic of justification by works and how that simply hearing the word without putting it to work profits nobody. It would be like saying to somebody with insufficient clothing, be blessed be warmed in the name of jesus without actually clothing that person those words mean nothing It'd be like going to somebody who is starving and saying be filled in the name of our god you see to hear the word of god this is pure pure religion jesus says to be unspotted from the world and to visit the orphans and widow in their trouble In other words, Christianity is not just about hearing, it's about doing. Abraham heard, but he also did. He was prepared to sacrifice his son, and he was rewarded for doing that. Rahab the prostitute heard. She knew that the God of Israel was the true and living God, but she did more than that. She acted on that word. She put that word to work. Her faith had works when she hid the spies and ensured That they escaped, also ensuring her reward and survival of herself and all the family that were with her. That's where we left it last week. And now having looked at being quick to hear, we're now entering that phase of being slow to speak. And it's interesting that the first thing that James would say in verse 1 is to warn those in the church that speak most. Guess who they are? Guess who's speaking most Today at the five o'clock service, myself, a teacher in the teaching service. And the first thing he says, You know what? Let not many of you become teachers, knowing that you shall receive a stricter judgment. Now, it seems that at that time, many people wanted to be teachers, and this is why he has to give a warning. Um, and that's because people very often like to, to spout their own opinions. I don't know about you, but I know some people, I can hardly get a word in edgewise. And often I find um, that very often ministers, preachers, and teachers are very good at speaking and very bad at listening. I can think of times when I go and meet other ministers in different environments, and uh, often Often I go away having spoken to someone and I've hardly said a word because they've got so much to tell me, so much to inform me, so much to talk about God and what they're doing and their church and everything like that, that they're so busy speaking that at the end of it, when they say, well, how about you, Bruce? How's KT? I'm thinking, well, coffee break's just about to be finished. I just say, oh, well, you know, soldiering on, soldiering on. And so teachers love to speak and teachers love to teach. And there's something, of course, that goes along with being a successful teacher. You have prestige. You get to st- stand on the platform while you, while you get to sit on chairs. You, you get to be televised here. <laughs> you have influence. Some of you might be sitting there thinking to yourself, oh, Bruce giving all his opinions on the Bible. Wish I could get up there and tell the people a thing or two about what I know. So there's influence that comes with that. And because of that, God expects a credibility and a conduct that is beyond that of other people. So when people say they want to preach or they want to teach, maybe they're looking at the idea of, oh, wouldn't it be great to speak? Wouldn't it be great to be on a platform? Wouldn't it be great to feel the prestige or, 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 or to enjoy speaking to a congregation? But actually, what James is saying is, you, you want to teach, you want to preach. You have to understand what a holy calling that is, and that actually God will hold you more accountable. So, when someone teaches, they have to make sure, now, no teacher is perfect, of course, except the Lord, but if you teach in the public place, God will look to see if you put what you teach into practice in the private place. One of the things we Learned the regulars here, when we went through the Sermon on the Mount about a year ago, is that God is interested more in what happens when people don't see what see you than when they do see you. True spirituality takes place in the hidden place. You are only as spiritual as when no one else is around to see what you're doing. That, that's your height of spirituality what you're like when you're not in church. What you're like when believers aren't, aren't about you. This is why God says things like, you know, if you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Do it in secret. Only your father will know, but therefore it will be spiritual. Or when you pray, it says, beware of putting on showy prayers in your cell group or with people. But when you pray, shut the door. Nobody will even know you're praying unless you tell them. Shut the door. Pray. The only one that knows that you're praying will be God. You see, it's a spirituality that's done in secret. So, when you are in the public sphere of teaching in all its forms, from a cell leader teaching right through to here we are on the platform, you need to know that what happens in public, you need to back up in private. It doesn't mean that you have to be perfect and live up perfectly to everything that you teach. You're teaching the Word of God, not your own standards, but you do have to be walking in the light. And one of the things about James speaking about becoming teachers is that if you truly are a teacher, I mean called of God, there's many teachers that teach but aren't called of God, many preachers that preach but aren't called of God, and you say, how do you know the difference? You know. But if you're called of God, then God is going to give you light and revelation that is not normally given to the everyday person that isn't called to be a teacher or a preacher. And that light and revelation isn't to make an exciting sermon, although that helps, but that light and illumination means that you are going to have a higher understanding of God's ways, God's words, and God's works. Which means if you have a higher understanding, you're also going to be judged at a higher level. People will be judged according to the light of God that they have received. So that's interesting, isn't it? You may not be teachers here, or maybe you're aspiring to teach, and that's a good thing to do. But just remember that with teaching comes great responsibility, and not just with your message and the people that you teach, but great responsibility before God personally for being a teacher. It's a sobering thought, and I I like the way that James begins with that statement, because as I've said, we're talking about speaking and the power of the tongue, and as I've said, at least in church, it's the preachers and teachers that speak most, so they should be addressed first. And then he moves on to speak about the power of the tongue and says, We all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle the whole body. That is an extremely powerful statement. Does James really mean what he's written? Or is this just a vague generalization? We all stumble in many things, but if we don't stumble in our word life and our speech, it says here, we'll be a perfect man. That word perfect doesn't mean absolutely, sinlessly perfect. That word means mature, or someone has said flawless, mature. And so, you're thinking, how can I grow in my Christian life? How can I grow in my maturity? How can I grow in my holiness? How can I take a hold of my life? The good, the bad, the challenges. If you came and said, I want to get a hold of my life. I want to get it on the right path. My life's a little bit all over the place. It's not where I want. I'm stumbling. I'm falling. Well, according to this passage, James says, mouth what you say. Because if you can control what you say, you can control your life. Look at the picture. Bridle the whole body. We're going to see this horse in a minute. The idea is if you control your mouth, you can control the direction of your life. He says out of this, indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us. And we turn their whole body. So in other words, how many people have ever ridden a horse here today? Wave at me. Have you ever ridden a horse? Or a donkey on the seaside? It all counts. It all counts. All right. Well, you know that when you ride a horse, and, uh, you know, those horses can be big animals. I mean, the horse, I learned to ride horses about three or four years ago. And it was great. It was wonderful. It was great fun. But... Uh, the horses that they were putting me on, I had to step up on a big box and spent half the time trying to get on the horse. And then all of a sudden, you're, you're high up on this horse, this big, powerful horse, and uh, you've got your feet in the stirrup, and then you're meant to guide this big, powerful horse, far stronger than you, with a little bit of rope, with a little bit of a bit in the horse's mouth. And that's meant to do the job, but you know it does. It does. You can direct that horse this way or that way. When you begin to canter or gallop, you take up the reins so you've got a tighter hold of the horse's mouth. And that, and you, I mean, if anybody in this place or watching has ever been on a horse and galloped, it's one of the most exhilarating experiences you could ever have. I mean, I, I thought when I had my little midlife crisis a while ago, I bought myself, I learned to drive a motorbike, got myself a Ducati Monster 495, or no, 595. And I thought speeding along, not speeding, you understand, but speeding along on a Ducati motorbike was a very thrilling, exciting ride, but it had nothing on galloping on a horse and feeling the, the power of this living creature partnering with you, to go along and to have those reins tightened, to be able to turn it this way and that, that power. Well, this is the picture. And James has just said that if you can control what you say, then you have got like a, a bit or a bridle and you are able to control your whole body. Now, you put a bit in a horse's mouth and a bridle, put a bit in a horse's mouth because you want to control the direction that it goes in. So the same for us. Your life will follow the direction of your words, I guarantee. You will go and be and become what you speak. Your speech, your talk, I'm not just talking about at work, I'm talking about everywhere. I'm talking in the home place. I'm talking in friends. I'm talking when you're on guard with your words, especially because your boss is there. Or when you're relaxing with your friends and you're more freer with what you're saying. When you talk, every time you speak, you are controlling the direction and destiny of your whole life. And you think about that. You think about some of the things. I mean, think of the things you've said in the past you'd wish you'd never said before. Think of the things, those of you that are married. Do you remember the time gentlemen, when you may have bowed the knee and you said, will you marry me? And she said, I'll think about it. Or yes. And by those words, the course of your history was totally altered. Or that interview that you had for that job. And you walk into that interview, yes, you have to be nice and smart, but in the end, your words Are gonna get you through, or your words are gonna get you rejected. The words you speak in your workplace will often determine how people think about you. If you're a moaning, groaning type of individual, you're not you're not the sort of person that we want to promote. If you're negative with your mouth, but if you're positive, encouraging, speaking the vision of your workplace speaking words of encouragement those words are going to open doors for you when you some people think oh well sticks and bo- sticks and sticks and stones will never hurt no yes sticks and stones may That's it thank you then i just went out of my mind thank you sticks and stones may break my bones but words will never hurt me The biggest lie out. Sticks and stones may hurt you, but your words will put you through to victory or carry you to disaster. This is the power of the tongue. I mean, even in salvation, we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouths. It's not just believing in your heart. The confession of your mouth as you speak it. As you speak and confess Jesus as Lord, you are being saved. And so, our speech life is very important to us in all aspects. In fact, it's one, if not the most important aspect of your life. Your control over your tongue. What you say, and often, more importantly, what you don't say. That's why James said earlier, Be slow to speak. And then he uses another example to make the same point. He says, Look at the ships, although they're so large, they are driven by fierce winds, but they're turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. So in this picture, we have this great big ship in the middle of the ocean, and this ship is in a great storm, and the Waves are tossing it high and the winds are trying to blow it this direction and the other direction. But you know, that boat just keeps on steaming straight on. If it goes off course, the rudder brings it back. And the middle of all that unruly circumstances, because of that small or relatively tiny rudder, the ship keeps its course and its distance. James is saying that your tongue is exactly that. You say, well, can't I guide my life by some other rudder? Perhaps the intellect. Maybe I can think my way through things. Maybe emotions. Maybe I can just feel my way with feelings through what I need to do. If only I feel happy, that will guide me. No. James is saying what you say. What you say. Not what you think but what you say. You know, sometimes things can come into your mind. Temptations, temptations to say, to gossip, temptations. You know, you might, there might be a temptation over a member of the opposite sex. And sometimes these things can come into your mind. But you know, it's when it comes out of your mouth. That's the dangerous thing. If somebody has a problem with lust and they're seeking to deal with that, and something pops into their mind, that's one thing, that's temptation. But it's the moment you begin to verbalize that things start to take place in life. You hear what I'm saying? No adultery took place without the wrong use of words. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so sometimes things that are happening on the inside, if you don't let it out, what does the Bible say? So you've got this wicked thought Or you've got you want to gossip or you want to say something nasty about somebody, or you're dealing with like as I said, inappropriate feelings for a member of the opposite sex that's not your wife, and it's inappropriate. And you're thinking, Oh, I've got all these things going inside me, how wicked I am, how terrible I am. But you know what? If you don't verbalize it, it shows that those things ultimately are not controlling you. Do you hear what I'm saying? If you don't verbalize it, it shows that you've got control. You don't let it out. You know, you don't gossip. You're there, and you feel that. Do you know about so and so? Do you know what I heard? And it's there in you, and it's burning. Gossip burns within you. And you want to speak about somebody. You want to speak ill about someone. It's there burning, and other people are doing it, and and you want to do it too. And and are you going to do it, or are you not going to do it? Do you know when you gossip, you always feel unclean at the end. You know it's true. You can sit there and you can gossip about somebody and there's something exciting about gossiping with somebody else because it feels like you're both in on it. Do you know that person? Is this, that? Do you know what? I agree with you. I see that too. Do you know what she did to me? Do you know what he did to me? And you're like, yeah, yeah. And you're agreeing together in gossip about somebody and there's something exciting about that. Yet when that gossip is finished and you walk away and the meeting's ended, how do you feel? You feel unclean. And those words that you've spoken, those words are dangerous words for the person in concern that you're gossiping about, yes, but also for you, because you're establishing yourself as a gossip, and uh, it doesn't go well with gossips in the Bible. So... If you take stock of how you talk, if you take stock, you will immediately begin a corrective part in your life. Now, I know that, and I've pr- preached this many times and taught this many times, that Christianity is a heart religion. It's about what's going on in your heart that really matters. And, uh, but, but even there, Jesus says, you know what, whatever comes out of your mouth will eventually re- reveal your heart out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks so the mouth is very important while god is doing his your work in the in your heart and you and you are in the bible you're judged by what you say far more than what's in your heart every idle word that men shall speak they will give an account not every idle thought so idle thoughts expressed have tremendous power. We can only really understand the power of words if we cease from our Greek-Western thinking and understand the Hebrew-Oriental understanding of what words are. We've already said that. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. The sort of Western idea, words are just words, don't just shrug it off, they've got no power. It's just an expression of inner thought. That's all it is. It is a communication of inner thought, no more, no less. But that's not how the Hebrew Bible sees words. First of all, we have to think that God himself thinks of words so highly that it's one of his name. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. And the word became flesh. I mean, word to God is so important that he can say, I am the word. I am the word made flesh. So straight away, we see words aren't just some sort of communication of inner thought. God is the word. And then when we think of creation, how did God create the world? Did he sort of like do some sort of Star Wars electric from the fingers? And then it, and then it created. Did he use the the power of mind thoughts? Did he send mind bullets out, mind power, to create it? No. Our God created the universe through words. It says, he said, not thought. He said, let there be, and there was. Let there be. He spoke and the power of the words he spoke brought things into existence. That's the power of God's word. But what about the power of human's words? Well, we're not God. We can't create material things through speaking, but we are made in the image of God, correct? Correct. And if we're made in the image of God, we would expect that words would carry great importance in our lives. If God created the universe by words, perhaps our words create our future. Perhaps our words build up and tear down. And we see that this is true, especially according to the Hebrew thought, because what about the power of blessing and cursing? Have you noticed that? The power of blessing and cursing was taken very seriously by the Jewish people. I mean, when you think about Jacob and Esau, and Jacob dressed up as Esau, didn't he? Hairy hands and hairy, and, 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 and stole Esau's blessing. We didn't steal it, Esau had given it to him, but this is how he gained it. And Isaac thought that Jacob was Esau and blessed him spoke words over his life, the blessing. That's what Jacob wanted. And then when Esau came in and realized what had happened, he said, take it back. Can't you take those words back and bless me? Now, in our Western culture, we'd have thought that, we'd have just said, I can't believe that Jacob did that. Can't believe that he made me think that he was Esau. Well, I'm just canceling what I've said. They're only words anyway. Now, I'll make sure that in the contract, you get everything that you need Esau. But what did Isaac do? He wept because he loved Esau greatly. He was his favorite. Isaac wept because he said, I can't. I've spoken the word of blessing and I can't bring it back. You see, when you speak those words, they carry something. Words are containers of power. Words are containers of power. How does a person get saved? By hearing the word, but that word is usually preached. Romans chapter 10. How shall they get saved unless they hear? And how shall they hear unless they're preached to? And how shall they be preached to unless people are commissioned and sent to preach? So the actual speaking of God's word has power to save people. To preach the word of God brings, if it's anointed, power to bring about what's being preached. So words are not just information from your intellect. Words are containers that carry power. Now, we, we seek the Lord for the Holy Spirit because what we want is our words to be filled with the Holy Spirit, don't we? We want our words to contain the power of the Holy Spirit because then those words, those prophetic words, those prophetic statements, those prayers, if they are containers, the words that are used are containers of the Holy Spirit, then they will bring power and blessing in what's spoken. Have you ever heard the phrase empty words, idle words or empty words? And so sometimes you get somebody and he's speaking, you think they're just empty words. And what do you mean by that? Well, he can talk the talk, but he can't walk the walk. He, he, he talks a good game. He's speaking, but he doesn't have any of the power that he's speaking. You know, some little tin pot nation shaking its fist at the United States of America and saying, we are going to destroy you, we're going to do this, that, and the other. And the great might of America looks down and says, those are empty words. Why? Because you don't have the power or ability to do what you claim to do. But have you also heard the phrase weighty words? Weighty words. And that idea is that when someone speaks, now somebody with true authority, and of course true authority always carries with it it power, someone with true authority will always be listened to because people recognize that those words that that man or woman speaks are not empty, but they're weighty. Sometimes in Parliament, when there's a big debate and one of the sides seems to be losing, they say it's time to bring out the big guns. <laughs> time to bring out the big guns. What do I mean? It's time to bring out those MPs, those women and men that have been around. They're the big, weighty authority, and what they say carries weight because of who they are, even before they've said it. So when we speak about words, we see that words are not empty. On the contrary, words carry power. And James says this. He says, the tongue is a fire. Now in this passage, James is warning about the destructive power of the tongue. That's what he's focusing on. That's what he has to deal with, with the people that he's writing to. They are using their words and speech destructively. So he is warning them about the destructive power of the tongue. But let me say this, there's a flip side, there's another side to the coin. As destructive as the tongue can be, so can it be positively constructive. Yes, the tongue can curse, but it can always also bless. So when we read about the destructive ability of speech, you have to realize that Although this sounds very destructive, you can flip it over because if, it, if correct words, words of blessing, words of truth are used, it has the absolute reserve, reverse opposite effect, yes? But here he's not talking about the positive use of the word. He is speaking out against the negative use. The tongue is a fire. I mean, you just get this picture that he's talking about. is like one of those horrible forest fires that sometimes happen in California or in Australia, uh, bushfires, where a tiny little flame just flickers onto some dry wood or bush or tree, and before you know it, that fire is spreading like wildfire. It says it sets on fire, verse 8, the course of nature or the course of life. That word course of life, is the Greek word trochos, which means wheel. So it sets on fire the wheel of life and is set on fire by hell. In other words, it affects your whole life. These words, words have power. In fact, every type of beast and bird has been tamed except the tongue. He's, he's warning us. He's telling us, wake up to what you're saying. Because so many people, they just speak so idly. They don't put a guard on their tongue. They're not slow to speak. They're swift to speak. They're, they're chatterboxes. They speak too much. I'm not asking you, by the way, to take a uh, a vow of silence like a monk or a nun for a period of time. Although some people ought to do that for a while. But what I'm saying is, You need to think before you speak. Don't be one of these people that just, you think after you spoke. You just chatter, chatter, chatter. Think about your words and how you use them. As I've been studying this, I've been thinking a lot over the last few months about my words and how I use them, how I use them with people in all different types of situations from family, friends, colleagues. How am I using my words? What is the best word to use in this environment? The amount of times I can honestly say in the last few months, the amount of times I've not spoken, I'm being glad I hadn't. Be slow to speak. I'm going to say something and I thought, you know what? I don't need to say that. I might get a laugh, but it's not going to produce anything. I don't need to say that. Do I need to say that? Is it necessary? Is it edifying? Is it building up? Or is it just me voicing off, thinking about what I'm going to say? Or, or maybe in a position where I feel like using my authority or power. And there are, you know, we've all got different levels of authority and power in our workplaces. And, and sometimes when you get a certain level of authority, you can abuse that power by your mouth. The higher you go in the world of authority, whatever area that's in, the more you must guard your mouth. Because the greater your authority in your workplace, your greater ability to bless but also to destroy. The greater your authority in the workplace or whatever it is, the greater your ability to produce good things or to sow bad things. So this is very important. And then finally, he speaks about how it is crazy that we can bless God with the same mouth and curse men that we can be singing praise to the lord that we can be praying prayers of blessing and then with the same mouth we can be gossiping speaking ill letting words of anger come out in the home place and uh, god said this shouldn't be why because what's coming out of your mouth is not just words it's coming out of your heart so you need to turn off the flow of bitter gossip Use that as an illustration. And angry, you? you need to turn off that flow. And you need to turn on the flow of blessing, encouragement, strengthening, righteousness. You need to turn off that flow. You have to consciously do it. Because out of the mouth proceed blessing and cursing. The shall not be so. Does a spring send forth water and bitter from the same opening? Can you imagine that? What would happen if a spring sent forth fresh water, was coming up, but then bitter water also got into the mix? What would come out? Fresh or bitter? Bitter. You see, if you take salt water and add it to to fresh water, in the end, what you'll taste is salt water because it will triumph over the pure water. So we need to make sure that what's coming out of our mouth Is not a mixture of salt or bitter and pure. We need to say to ourselves, Holy Spirit, help me. Help me that my mouth will become purer, that my words will become purer. Because you set on course, you set the wheel of your life by what you say. You will never amount to anything more than what comes out of your mouth. You will never rise to anything more than comes out of your mouth. And you will never be anything more than what comes out of your mouth. What comes out of your mouth in all scenarios, what comes out of your mouth is your destiny and your future and your character. So if we take this word seriously and are quick to hear and slow to speak and anger, we will find a radical change taking place in our lives. If you just took this one sermon today and worked on it on a weekly basis for three months, you'd be unrecognizable to yourself at the end of it. The amount of words you'd have stopped, but also the amount of words that you would choose to say because that's a word of blessing. It's a word of life. It's a word of strength. Now, as I close, I'm not saying that you're not allowed to say things as they are. I'm just saying you have to think about the appropriateness of who you're talking to and how you're talking. I am not going to the extreme word faith place where you're not even allowed to say that you've got a cold. You know, how are you today, brother? (laughs) I'm healed. Oh, well, you look sick to me. Don't you say those words over me. I'm healed in the name of Jesus. I'm well and healthy. Oh, please. We're not talking about that type of extremities where someone's going around robotically or, or, or you know, with this, oh, don't say it, brother. Don't confess it, brother. We're not going that far. Do you hear what I'm saying? People like that, they're nuts. Crazy people. Unreal. There is a time before God and before correct people to talk about what's going on. This is how I feel. Do you know what I'm saying? And it's appropriate at that time. So I'm not saying from now on, you know, I mean, the Psalms are full of people pouring out negativity, but in an appropriate way, oh, God, it's all over, my friends have left me unbetrayed, you know, but it's done in an appropriate way. And at the end of the Psalm, there's always, but God, you know all things. So I'm not saying... That we become robots, but what I am saying is, <laughs> it'll take a. W- I'm not worried about many of us being at that extreme. Do you know what I'm saying? What I'm worried is us being at the other extreme, and I think that for most of us listening to that message, this message today, there's a lot that could be applied that will help us in our life together. Amen, amen. Well, God bless you. Next week. Next week, we've got a new course on missions, and I really encourage you to come. Don't think, oh, missions, well, I'm more of like Bible teaching. Why? All of us need to have a heart for world missions, all of us. And so if you don't have a heart for world missions, don't worry about it. This is what this month is all about. So open wide your heart in the coming month and say, Lord, give me the heart for the world that you died for, and God will do something special in all of us, I believe. Thank you.